Epilogue Part 2 Into the Storm The global financial crisis of 2007 to 2008 shook the international financial system to its roots. It brought down banks, including the storied Lehman Brothers, and caused financial giants like Bear Stearns and Merrill Lynch to be disposed of at fire sale valuations. Global stocks fell by as much as 60%. Long-term investors such as pension funds, university endowment funds and SWFs took heavy portfolio losses. Some had to veer from their investment policies and others had to liquidate portions of their portfolios to raise cash. To what extent did the GFC compromise GIC's mission, its control over its investment strategy? What were the lessons for GIC? Two policy decisions mitigated the crisis impact on GIC. First, management had in fact become cautious about global stock markets prior to the crisis, though it had not foreseen its severity. In July 2007, warning of the risk of a severe financial market dislocation, GIC reduced the policy allocation for equities. The timing was fortuitous as stock markets peaked in October 2007. Early in 2008, GIC further reduced equities. Those moves enabled GIC to avoid a greater loss in the ensuing bear market. Second, GIC had avoided investing in structured credit products like collateralized debt obligations, CDOs, that caused investment banks and investors to lose staggering amounts of money. Before the crisis, CDOs were money-making machines for these same parties. GIC had felt that CDOs, their AAA ratings notwithstanding, were too opaque to invest in. Some of the cash that GIC had raised from selling equities was later invested in two highly publicized investments. The shares of Citigroup and UBS the transactions completed in January and February 2008, respectively. Both banks were viewed as having strong global franchises, UBS in global wealth management and Citigroup in consumer and corporate banking. However, as the crisis unfolded, financial institutions, including UBS and Citigroup, disclosed more problematic assets on their books. On hindsight, the investments in the two banks, particularly UBS, were too early. Financial markets fell sharply in late 2008 and governments then had to deploy massive funds to bail out their banks. While the Citigroup investment soon after turned positive, the investment in UBS did not. The impact of the investments in these two banks on GIC's performance or indeed of any specific investment, such as the highly successful investment into global logistics properties, has, however, to be put in perspective. First, GIC's investment performance should be assessed not just on the basis of individual investments, but on the total portfolio over the long term. Also, GIC's investment process matters. The process comprises a hierarchy of decisions the most important of which is GIC's asset allocation strategy. It accounts for the bulk of GIC's returns. 
In other words, the preemptive sale of equities, an asset allocation decision, had a greater impact on aggregate performance than specific investments. Nevertheless, the GFC hurt GIC's investment returns. The report on the management of the government's portfolio, GIC report, for FY 2008-09, which covered the 12 months to March 2009, disclosed that its portfolio had suffered a loss of more than 20% in Singapore dollar terms over that period. Leading institutional investors also experienced losses of a similar magnitude. The pervasiveness of such severe losses can be attributed to two factors. First, global equity markets fell by about 55% from peak to trough during the crisis. Virtually every stock sector was adversely affected. Although it had cut back on equities before the market crash, GIC had retained a core portfolio of equities through the crisis. A tenet of long-term investing is that historically, equity markets of functioning economies do eventually recover and that investors should stay invested to benefit from the eventual recovery. Nevertheless, the fall in the marked-to-market value of GIC's core equity holdings was significant. The second distinctive feature of the GFC was that, except for sovereign bonds and gold, other asset classes like private equity, real estate, infrastructure, commodities and corporate bonds fell in tandem with global equities. This phenomenon confounded expectations that a diversified portfolio would mitigate risk. As the Yale Endowment Fund noted, diversification failed to protect asset values. While the GIC report for FY 2008-09 noted that all the asset classes it invested in, except for cash, gold and sovereign bonds, fell during the crisis. The GFC stressed pension, endowment and sovereign wealth funds in different ways. Portfolio losses caused some pension funds to be underfunded by as much as 30% at the end of 2009. Several SWFs had to liquidate assets to provide funds to stabilize their economies. Some U.S. university endowment funds also had to sell into falling markets to raise cash for their university sponsors. In contrast, other institutional investors were able to withstand the marked-to-market losses incurred during the GFC and adhere to their investment policies. GIC was among them. As a result, GIC's policy allocations to asset classes were not cut indiscriminately. Considered strategic, they were maintained, eventually benefiting from the market recovery. The GIC report for FY 2010-11 disclosed that the average annual five-year nominal returns in US dollar terms for the GIC portfolio was 6.3%. This period included the worst of the fall in asset prices during the GFC. For the same five-year period, the portfolio's 20-year rate of return in excess of global inflation was 3.9%. GIC's portfolio had therefore recouped the losses sustained during the GFC. GIC had not just kept its capital intact, but had increased it. The key 
was that it was not pressured by market events to abandon its investment strategy. It remained in control of its fate. Hence, it did not falter in its mission during a crisis that was its most severe test yet. Underscoring GIC's resilience during the GFC was the board's commitment to the long-term perspective, to the dictum that as a long-term investor, GIC had to be prepared to bear short-term losses. Taman Shamukaratnam, then Minister for Finance, articulated these sentiments thus. Because we are long-term investors, we have to be prepared to lose money over the short term, in a crisis, or even over a cycle. Because if you are not prepared to lose money over the short term, then you are taking too conservative an investment approach, which will not yield adequate returns for the long term. The board's resolute endorsement gave management the support they needed to adhere to its long-term asset allocation. Critically, too, the impact on GIC's portfolio during the GFC did not breach its risk-tolerance parameters. The severity of the crisis was indeed an eye-opener. Those with losses exceeding their risk tolerance had to cut their positions. GIC, however, kept within its risk limits. The GFC illustrated the importance of having stress limits that were clear and acceptable to stakeholders. There were other lessons from the GFC. Portfolio diversification, as practiced by GIC and other institutional investors, had not worked as well as expected. In addition, headline or reputational risk had to be considered for high-profile or large investments. These investments may not have a significant impact on total portfolio performance, but can distract management. GIC would take in these lessons when it reshaped its investment framework. In Time for the Future In Time for the Future is Lim Seong-Guan's credo that GIC be prepared for the future by anticipating challenges and then rejuvenating itself to surmount them while staying true to its core values. It was an ambition singularly apt for the times, as the GFC had set in motion concerning developments that boded a challenging financial landscape. The verve and purpose Lim brought to his mission would define his tenure as group president when he succeeded Li Ek-Tieng. It enabled transformative changes for GIC, namely a recrafting of its investment framework and a corporate makeover. GIC had three objectives in mind when reshaping its investment framework. To internalize the key lessons surfaced by the GFC into its investment process. To ensure a resilient portfolio in a challenging post-GFC investment environment. And to better integrate its public and private markets expertise. Designing a framework that could accommodate the three objectives holistically called for vision and bold thinking. It meant a rewrite of an investment framework that, in essence, GIC had used for many years. The team assigned to the task was given extensive latitude to redraw GIC's investment architecture. It trawled widely for ideas, including from investment practitioners globally. 
the board and the client were also intensively engaged. Leslie Teo, then chief economist, recalled the several extended interactive sessions with Taman Shamugaratnam and discussions with board advisors Robert Litterman and Martin Leibovitz. In fact, as the project neared its end, the full board and the advisory team, including PM Lee HL, devoted a day at the GIC offices at Capitol Tower, subjecting the proposals to scrutiny. The 15-month-long process culminated with the inception of the New Investment Framework, NIF, on 1st April 2013. The essence of the NIF is conveyed through its three portfolios, the reference portfolio, the policy portfolio, and the active portfolio. Each addresses a critical component of GIC's investment process. The reference portfolio is an addition to GIC's investment framework. A notional portfolio comprising global equity and global bond indices, it is a reference for the quantum of risk that GIC's client, the government, is prepared for GIC to take. The GFC had shown that clarity about the client's risk tolerance was crucial in times of severe market stress. After considering several portfolio mixes that GIC had stress-tested, the Ministry of Finance, MOF, on behalf of the government, chose a reference portfolio comprising 65% equities, 35% bonds, as expressing its risk tolerance. GIC elected to use a reference portfolio instead of standard statistical measures to convey risk, as it is a more tangible depiction of market upheavals. Thus, over the last 50 years, a 65-35 portfolio would have declined by 20 to 30% over a three-year rolling period in times of severe market stress, such as the tech bubble burst and the GFC. These declines, however, were not permanent. The MOF assessed that the combination was associated with a portfolio stress it considered tolerable and that yielded reasonable long-term inflation-adjusted returns. GIC's mandate is to generate good real returns over the long term, whilst keeping to the risk limits set by the reference portfolio. The next two portfolios are what GIC invests in to achieve its mandate. First, the policy portfolio is GIC's asset allocation policy. It is the heart of the NIF, as it is the investment decision that accounts for the bulk of GIC's long-term returns and risk exposure. That decision generates beta, or returns, which accrue by reaping the risk premia of selected asset classes over the long term. For GIC, long term means a time span of 20 years, a span which covers several business cycles and market peaks and troughs. GIC chose six asset classes for the policy portfolio. Developed market equities, emerging market equities, nominal bonds and cash, inflation-linked bonds, private equity, and real estate. It is an asset mix tuned to GIC's mandate of preserving and enhancing the reserves as it allows for both the growth and safety of the portfolio. Thus, public and private equity play the enhancing role, 
nominal and inflation-linked bonds the defensive, and real estate is an inflation hedge. GIC assessed that the six asset classes were sufficient for robust portfolio diversification. It had stress-tested and qualitatively assessed different combinations of the six against a range of scenarios. The portfolio mix finally selected could be expected to yield good real returns over time and be resilient in adverse market situations. Such a portfolio would not do as well as an equity-heavy portfolio in bull markets. By the same token, it would not fall as much in bear markets. More importantly, it offered a good chance that its performance, when averaged over different market cycles, would meet the client's investment objectives. Given its significance, the policy portfolio is decided by the board after considering management's recommendations. It is a long-term decision, although GIC has some latitude to deviate from it in expectation of large market movements. GIC used that flexibility during the GFC. It would prove its defensive worth when COVID-19 broke. The active portfolio comprises skill-based discretionary investment strategies by investment professionals. These strategies aim to create alpha, returns above what the policy portfolio can generate. In short, alpha raises the prospects of GIC achieving its mandate. Management is accountable for the performance of the active portfolio. While alpha investments had been in place before, the NIF modified their operating rules to improve governance, risk management, and cross-asset collaboration. Firstly, every active investment strategy has to exceed a cost-of-capital, market-based hurdle. Secondly, active strategies will not raise GIC's overall risk. In fact, additional risk management controls have been inserted. This includes the setting up of an investment board which comprises private sector experts to oversee the active portfolio risk limits. Thirdly, the active portfolio explicitly creates opportunities for different asset groups to collaborate on investments spanning different asset classes. Critically, the NIF was a model for the future in two ways. First, the clarity it brought to bear on key areas like governance, risk management, portfolio diversification, sources of returns, and risk would be fundamental to GIC's resilience in the global COVID-19 crisis in 2020. Secondly, the NIF brought GIC closer to the one GIC mode, where its multi-asset capabilities could be harnessed in a coordinated fashion. This opened new investment vistas for GIC, a development that would be increasingly important in the future. Concurrent corporate changes in GIC reinforced the NIF's intent to advance a one GIC investment approach. These changes were the result of a corporate rejuvenation initiative. It was mooted by Dr. Tony Tan when he was appointed GIC's executive director and followed through by Lim Seong Guan. While Lim introduced initiatives covering virtually every aspect of GIC's operation, the three most critical areas for him were culture and values, 
organizational realignment, and leadership succession. Culture and values were foremost for Lim. An early outcome then was a refresh of the company's ethos using the acronym PRIME. Prudence, respect, integrity, merit, and excellence. These were values intrinsic to GIC from day one, but they were reaffirmed, refreshed, and reinforced. Personnel policies were recrafted to emphasize and promote behavior and performance that exemplified Prime. Seemingly remote from the world of finance, Prime, however, is the underpinning, the bedrock for strong corporate governance, good performance, and organizational resilience. Externally, the standards of integrity and competence that Prime extols are fundamental to earning the trust of GIC's partners and counterparties. That trust would be important as GIC, as we shall see later, seeks to develop a network of business partnerships. Another of LIM's priorities was organizational realignment towards a one GIC business model. Since their corporatization, GIC's three investment arms had become world-class investment entities in their fields. However, the changing investment landscape warranted a more collaborative culture among them for the benefit of the GIC portfolio as a whole. A one-firm approach would allow GIC to harness its multi-asset expertise to widen its investment reach and improve its performance. This philosophy was reflected as well in the design of the NIF. The one GIC orientation sparked corporate-wide adjustments. Investing groups came together. Mid- and back-office operations were reorganized to cater to more complex cross-asset investments. Personnel and talent management policies were realigned. LIM's third priority was leadership renewal at all levels of which the most notable concerned GIC's top leadership. Senior management succession was implemented in phases, culminating with Lim Chao Kiat succeeding Lim Seong Guan as CEO on 1st January 2017. The smooth change of leadership attested to the foundations laid by the previous leaders. They included GIC pioneers, Ng Kok Song and Tae Kok Peng, as well as Kwa Wee Gi, and Sik Yi Huat. The board also saw changes as GIC was reinventing itself. Lee Kuan Yew stepped down as chairman in 2011. His influence on GIC was foundational. He defined its core values and shaped its strategic orientation. His chairmanship signaled the national significance of GIC's mission as did the subsequent board appointments. Lee Hsien Lung, the Prime Minister, assumed the chairmanship. Teo Chi Hien, then Deputy Prime Minister, was appointed to the board, joining Taman Shamugaratnam, then the other Deputy Prime Minister, as well as Minister for Finance. It was an intense phase for GIC, remarkable for the sweep of changes accomplished. Leadership rejuvenation, a value system refreshed to guide and inspire, a reshaped investment framework that reassures stakeholders with clear governance and risk management measures, 
while expanding the scope of active investments, and a realignment to a more collaborative culture to realize the potential of GIC's multi-asset capabilities. These changes would fortify GIC for the global crisis soon to come. Prepare, not predict. COVID-19, even as it continues to unfold in 2021, has been the biggest test yet of GIC's functional resilience in a global crisis. When it first reared its head in 2020, it put GIC's portfolio to unusual market stress and had the potential to disrupt its global operations. The precept, prepare, not predict, enabled GIC to surmount these challenges. Concerned about the disconnect between rosy financial markets and worrisome market and geopolitical developments, GIC had, before the pandemic outbreak, gone on the defensive, leaning towards preservation over enhancement of assets. Its priority was avoiding significant and permanent portfolio impairment. The portfolio had been stress-tested and prepared for a range of contingencies. Importantly, for several years already, GIC had de-risked its portfolio by reducing its allocation to developed market equities in favour of cash. GIC's defensive stance cushioned its portfolio from the worst of the market volatility. This was in early 2020, when global equity markets fell by more than 20%, the steepest quarterly decline since the GFC. Portfolio diversification also kept the portfolio in good shape. Notably, the portfolio was less volatile than its risk reference, the reference portfolio. In fact, it had been consistently so since GIC had turned defensive. Despite the low-risk posture, GIC still generated creditable long-term real returns through this period. Be prepared was also how GIC's operations remained functional as the pandemic spread. A major reason was the regular, meticulous business continuity rehearsals to stress-test GIC's operations for crisis events. These are full-fledged drills where up to half the staff work off-site to test backup systems and to operate under various crisis scenarios. When COVID-19 emerged, GIC could swiftly roll out measures to protect the health and safety of its staff and to keep its global operations running. GIC's operational resilience was also due to continuous upgrading of its technological capabilities. These enabled the quick rollout of large-scale work-from-home processes, which proved invaluable when lockdowns swept through GIC's global offices. GIC's global operations, hence, were neither significantly curtailed, nor did investment activities slow. In fact, GIC has done more deals than before the pandemic. COVID-19 did not hinder GIC from pressing on with a shift in its alpha strategy, started a few years earlier. The shift can partly be traced to the inception of the NIF, which opened the doors for cross-asset investments. A more forceful reason was a crowded, competitive field for alpha because of the influx over the years of mega-funds, pension funds 
and SWFs, especially against the backdrop of an investing environment that features low returns. This meant keen competition had stretched valuations for a limited supply of attractive investment opportunities. In response, GIC reshaped its alpha strategy, migrating from conventional, standard ways of alpha investing towards a more idiosyncratic and entrepreneurial approach. It meant proactively unearthing investment opportunities, a drive to go out there and look for the assets, and if possible, to create assets ourselves, rather than wait for the fund managers or the bankers to come to us. That's not the winning formula. The fresh strategy sees GIC investing through the whole value chain, underlying the different stages of corporate growth. It also envisages GIC transforming itself from a passive investor into an active partner, contributing to the growth of its investee companies. While bold and demanding, the idiosyncratic approach levers GIC's capabilities and strengths. These include its long-term orientation, multi-asset expertise in public and private markets, and the ability to provide flexible capital. In short, GIC is able to invest across public and private markets at all stages of a company's life cycle and in different capital structures, from private credit to bespoke financing solutions. All these mean a larger universe of niche opportunities for GIC to invest in. GIC's more involved proactive investment stance also leveraged its global network of contacts and partners. The network includes investors, fund managers, investee companies, fund sponsors, thought leaders, business leaders, family officers, and industry trailblazers. It is a network developed over the years. As an early non-US institutional investor in Silicon Valley, GIC established relationships with private equity funds that have now become industry giants. Similarly, in Asia, GIC had a head start in forging relationships with the investment community there. This has helped GIC to be a leading institutional investor in Asia as well as a reason for non-Asian investors to partner GIC for their Asian ventures. GIC continues to work hard to enhance its network. A signature initiative is the exclusive conferences and forums organized in financial centers around the globe for the investment community. Milestones for GIC's overseas offices are also occasions for gathering GIC's partners in that geography. The extensive global network GIC has assembled is an invaluable calling card to open doors to potential investee companies. Through this, GIC has been able to offer them advice or connect them to the right expertise to aid their growth. The mindset of being prepared sees GIC embarking on a visioning exercise to be ready for a low-returns future that augurs to be the most challenging for GIC. While not prompted by the pandemic, Lim CK knew that GIC needed to prepare itself for a global economy beset by fault lines that have been accentuated by this crisis, and importantly, navigate implications of a trend reversal in interest rates that will represent headwinds for financial assets.
GIC, embarked on an endeavour to envision the investment landscape in 2035 and craft an appropriate long-term strategy. While the process will have intermediate targets, the 15-year time frame will give our people freedom to be more radical, more courageous, as they will not be constrained by the here and now. There are several strategies at play, including a clear focus on new alpha opportunities and to acquire deeper expertise in selected areas. Another effort will be to improve GIC's capabilities to invest in mega-trends in long-term themes such as the transition to a sustainable world. GIC will also delve into how its investment decisions can be sharpened through better use of technologies. Culture and talent will be key areas worked on as GIC looks to expand the scope and power of the existing one GIC model. While the prime values will be its bedrock, GIC's culture looks to nurture a more dynamic entrepreneurial approach. GIC is regenerating itself once more. Bold vision. Within a space of about 10 years, the government had need to draw on the reserves to respond to two global crises, the GFC and COVID-19. Both instances attest to the power of the vision that has shaped the course of reserve management in Singapore, that the reserves enable Singapore to better take charge of its own destiny. In the GFC, the reserves supported two initiatives. The first, in the context of global banks facing heavy withdrawals, was the Singapore Government Guarantee on Deposits with Banks in Singapore. The President's concurrence was sought and given to use past reserves to back the guarantee. In the event, the undertaking was not triggered. The soundness of Singapore banks and the government's undertaking were assurance enough. The episode, though, affirmed Singapore's standing as an international financial centre. The second GFC initiative was a resilience package to protect jobs and help businesses. It was the first time the government had drawn on past reserves. The President's approval was sought and granted for a drawdown of $4.9 billion. The actual amount drawn was $4 billion. And in 2011, the government put back this amount drawn from past reserves. As for COVID-19, the draw on past reserves have dwarfed the GFCs. In 2020 and 2021, the government announced budget assistance packages of over $100 billion. Altogether, the expected draw on past reserves over the two financial years will come up to a total of $53.7 billion. This is 10 times more than that for the GFC and is equivalent to over 20 years of accumulated budget surpluses. When delivering the 2021 budget statement, Deputy Prime Minister and Minister for Finance, Heng Sui Kiat, reminded Singaporeans, We are extremely fortunate to be able to tap our strategic assets and deploy the resources required to deal decisively with COVID-19 and the considerable uncertainties that lie ahead. We should never take our reserves for granted. The GFC, and particularly COVID-19, concretely illustrate the role of reserves as a rainy day fund, 
as well as how fast reserves can be drained during a global crisis. COVID-19 will not be the last crisis that Singapore will face. The ability to deploy reserves promptly and in meaningful measure to meet contingencies is of immense strategic value for a small, resource-scarce country. At the same time, the country's reserves are also an endowment fund. Indeed, the role of the reserves as endowment assets is expected to grow over time. This is due to rising public spending on societal needs, reflecting an ageing society, and to provide stronger social safety nets. Investments to upgrade physical and human capital to support economic growth and responses to challenges such as climate change. GIC's contribution to the government's annual fiscal spending will hence be even more important. The dual functions of the reserves resonate with the wording of GIC's mission statement to preserve and enhance the long-term international purchasing power of the reserves it manages. The trade-off of the two philosophies highlighted by Li Xianlong has become more challenging for reasons touched on earlier. On the one hand, rising fiscal spending means greater reliance on the reserves to supplement the budget. On the other hand, a more uncertain investment environment implies higher portfolio volatility than before. This calls for caution. In managing the trade-off, GIC has eschewed the soft option of citing a future difficult investment landscape as reason for a conservative investment stance and accepting the consequent paltry returns. Instead, it sees a responsibility to its stakeholders to step up to the plate to extract as much returns as it can whilst keeping to its risk constraints. The strategy refresh it started embodies that determination. The endeavour will be arduous. It calls for GIC to be in control of its fate so that it can achieve its mission. What would it take for GIC to keep faith with that vision? Lee Kuan Yew offers counsel that reminds, enlightens, inspires. In what would be his valedictory address as GIC chairman, Lee reprised the keys to GIC's success, keys which are pertinent in these uncertain times. The essence is for GIC to remain true to its core values. First, it must adhere scrupulously to the tenet of meritocracy and excellence. Hire, develop and retain the best talent. The quality of its people would remain the primary foundation for future success, Lee emphasised. Lee's injunction on people quality is ingrained in GIC beginning with the recruitment of its pioneer staff by Yong Pang Hao, GIC's first managing director. Since then, talent management has become more complex and demanding, but remains as critical. The success of GIC will depend on GIC's ability to recruit quality and global expertise to support the drive into more complex alpha investments. Succession planning is another closely watched area for GIC. A systematic process identifies staff with potential to lead critical positions in five and ten years' time, and their progress 
is closely watched by management and a board committee. The objective is to get a better gene pool so that in 10 years' time, there will be another group of people who are better than their predecessors and who are running GIC. A pipeline of tested leaders goes to the very heart of GIC, striving to be master of its destiny for generations to come. Second, GIC must maintain the highest reputation conducting itself in a manner that is beyond reproach, Lee said. GIC's good name, he elaborated, rests on its record of prudence, competence and integrity. These values were paramount to him and Dr. Goh and have framed how GIC has developed and invested. The reputation that GIC has secured will be even more important in a future where cross-border investments might be stifled by geopolitical tensions and protectionist sentiments. GIC's investment activities has thus far not been hampered as it is largely viewed as an investor without political agenda, invests for the long term and is not out to make a fast buck and adheres to the laws of the home country, as well as its own high governance standards. Today, more than ever, reputation, integrity and trust, values encapsulated by Prime, will be prized. They will confer GIC the cachet to be viewed as valued investors and partners. Third, GIC must capitalize on its global reach multi-asset class capabilities and long-term perspective. Lee was referring to GIC's success in breaking into new markets, establishing itself in developed markets and attaining a global reach that is rare among SWFs. Thus, GIC was an early investor in real estate and private equity and is now among the top global investors in both. GIC was also ahead of its peers in investing in emerging markets, including Asia. These accomplishments set a foundation for future success. GIC has also continued to broaden its investment bandwidth. The NIF opened the way for GIC to acquire fluency in investing in cross-asset and idiosyncratic situations. GIC will continue to capitalize on these advances to find new sources of returns to supplement the policy portfolio. Lee also referred to GIC's long-term perspective as an asset. Oftentimes, honoured more in word than in deed, that perspective, however, is foundational to GIC's investment philosophy, a tenet upheld by its client and board of directors. Some would cite this as GIC's primary strength that the stakeholders GIC directly reports to can take a long-term perspective even amid crises and shield GIC from political considerations. There is, therefore, a clarity, a steadiness, no flip-flopping, that allows investment professionals to do their work purely on investment grounds and on a long-term basis. And, by taking the long view, GIC can take advantage of more investment opportunities compared to investors who have a shorter time frame. Fourth, GIC must have the courage and conviction to take original, bold, strategic and forward-looking decisions. It must avoid a tendency, Lee observed, 
commonly seen in companies that grew larger and more established, where the impetus to follow conventional practices will grow stronger. This could lead to mediocrity. Here, Lee was alluding to a crucial value that brings life to the enduring themes of how Singapore has better control of its destiny because of its reserves, and how GIC itself can better control its fate. Bold Vision Bold Vision conceived the creation of GIC and its every critical advance since. Dr. Goh's inspired recommendation that Singapore's long-term reserves should be managed by a professional company was an unconventional idea in 1981. Lee Kuan Yew's remarkably prescient prognostications on future trends and their implications for GIC primed it for the unfolding tectonic shifts in the world economy. Each of the leaders who helmed GIC, Yong Pang Hao, J.Y. Pile, Li Ek-Tieng, Dr. Tony Tan and Lim Siong-Guan, broke from the past during their tenures. They reshaped and rebooted GIC and set the stage for it to move to a higher level of performance. Can GIC build on that legacy of spirit, confidence and vision? Formidable as the challenge is, there are grounds for optimism. GIC's board of directors and client are informed about and receptive to new approaches. Learning and seeking fresh ideas is second nature to GIC. The constant ferment of ideas breeds innovation. GIC's history itself is a story of breakthroughs accomplished. The inception of the NIF is a vivid example that innovation and creativity are not confined to past GIC leaders. More recently, the shift to new, more demanding areas to adapt to a changing investment landscape suggests a willingness to apply bold, innovative solutions. GIC is not done with going back to the drawing board again. Reassuringly, it reflects the underlying confidence among the present generation of leaders that they can remake GIC once more, no matter the complexity of the task. That confidence arises firstly from the capabilities and the bench GIC has developed. More than that, at heart, it arises from a tradition of bold vision and successful groundbreaking, a tradition that future generations of GICians can find inspiration in.